Interned in the twilight eternal, awaiting their tribunal before the gods of Egadon, the party continues their trials in this strange pocket dimension within a dimension. They've just created doppelgangers for themselves that were then trapped as they made their escape back to this nexus room, where they were then ushered onto the next challenge. A foreboding staircase is all that awaits between them and whatever comes next. I do not believe that waiting will increase our chances of success with this one. I am going to proceed. I agree. Bartholomew will follow behind if you guys start moving. He agrees but feels no need to speak. Barty, I know you have not been yourself quite lately, but I do not believe that it is stable thinking that you are willing to kill yourself. My friend, you have never known myself. This is myself. That thing you met was a lie and a dream. What I've done is not something that can be forgiven, is not something that can be changed. They can set these trials and want to make me beg for redemption. But these gods have no power over me, and I'm already judged by my own conscience. What you see before you is truly Bartholomew. What you saw before was a fool. I only have some idea of the plight that you face. But, Barty, I think it may be time for you to accept and move on. You should not seek out your own death. I've experienced that myself. Upon hearing this, uh, Bartholomew, he's actually going to get really close to Brynir. And he just says, Have you? Have you experienced it for yourself? Have you felt your jaws close in around the sun you raised? driven by anger and hatred for something that was not his fault? Have you felt his lifeblood flood through your veins as you drink it? Have you felt hatred so dominate you that you can bring yourself to destroy that which you have created? Because once you've done that, you can talk to me about having gone through this. My life is pain. It burns me. That blood still is in my veins, burning with every beat of my heart. There was a reason that I did not remember this. But now I lack even the courage or foolishness to try to hide it. Death is not something that I am waiting for. Death is something that I eagerly seek. I cannot say that I have lost a son, but I myself have slaughtered the ones that I love, that depended on me. I was just lucky enough that I didn't kill the woman that I love. So no, I have not lost a son, but I did lose so many that are close to me. That I wanted to have everything in this world be over. I have accepted the actions that have been done. And whether or not those were my own or those of another, it's happened. And I have a second chance to be something better in this world. I have a chance to work with the Godborn. To try to do something, just even a little, to make up for it. And I realize that I don't need to lose my life to be something more. Well, I'm sorry, but it appears that you have found the worst possible way to be something more. As if you do not remember, we are currently being judged by the gods from which they are born for our actions. I do not think there is salvation here for me. That is not up to me to decide, but I think you should have faith in yourself. And then Brynir will turn away and go down the stairs. Cad, not like having listened to this whole conversation, just kind of side-eyes Brynir as he walks by and then looks Barty straight in the eyes and says, if it were only so easy, and continues down the stairs. Bartholomew goes well. 
With everyone heading down, these seem to widen and change into these long stone stairs until it's as if you're just walking down the natural formation of a mountain. A cold, chill wind starts to whip around you, and it isn't long before the ground is covered in snow and ice and rocky crags and outcroppings have formed where the walls once were, and you haven't even really noticed, but there's no more ceiling, just an empty sky, black and starless, lit clouds reflecting some scant moonlight, obscuring anything past too far up. And as you continue down this mountain, you hear noises. In these great pine forests, you come to a small clearing where finally you see two goliaths hiding in some kind of rocky opening. One of them you recognize as the doppelganger Vamok that you had just created. The other one only Vamok recognizes as it pushes the doppelganger to the ground, saying, Get out of my way, and walks toward this clearing where now all of you are able to see that some kind of trap or snare has been laid, and this Goliath figure yells over its shoulder at the doppelganger of Amok, You are still worthless, brother. You should beg me for your life. You are weak, and you will perish like it. But then, in a flash, the leaves and dirt on the ground are cleared away as a circle in pitch black appears all around him, these strange symbols suddenly glowing eerily as the wind starts to pick up again. The trap in the center of the circle rises like a snake, its jaws opened wide, and then clamps tightly around this Goliath's upper thigh, who lets out a roar of pain. And as he looks wildly around for this doppelganger of a mock, all of you still just spectators to the scene, he cries out, what have you done? You damned fool, what have you done to me? And the wind is whipping across your faces as the ground begins to shake, throwing this figure on its back and nearly dislodging all of you from your place just at the tree line, just outside this clearing. And as the rumble in the ground morphs and moves, it almost chants and then changes into a deep voice that echoes over the snow. You see it shifting as it speaks, the very earth itself. The sacrifice is accepted. And then the ground underneath this Goliath opens up like a giant gaping mouth. And finally, all of you are able to spot the doppelganger of Amok as this Goliath entrapped here in the center of this clearing also does and the doppelganger is simply smiling stepping from his rocky hiding place and as he does so he calls loudly to be heard over the breaking of the earth and the howling of the wind what is the way of the mountain brother do you remember and then this goliath tries to form words as blood just gargles out of his mouth eyes filled with hatred as he's pulled backwards into this abyss. Yes, indeed, brother. It is as you always say. The weak perish where the strong survive. And for a split second, at least for Vamok, 
things seem to slow, and you hear a voice echoing through your mind. Is this how it was meant to be? And you see, closing slowly, these earthen lips around the wailing Goliath, doppelganger Vamok, satisfied, standing not too far away. But as I said, time seems to only slow for Vamok. For everyone else, this transpires all in an instant. But here, now, Vamok, there's almost a pause in the air. And you heard that voice. Everything happened exactly as I planned. But if this was meant to be, it is hard to say. Recently, I have come to realize that my previous disposition towards the acquisition of power was largely a result of the environment in which I live. Life was hard, and strength was the only thing that mattered. But now I realize something else. The only ones worthy of great power are those who do not seek it, and that is why I find intent so abominable. It exploits, it corrupts, it twists. It takes everything that is good and precious, the things that I once loved, and it stamps them into the ground. The only ones who should wield intent are those who do not seek its power. That is why I have come to the conclusion that so long as there is intent upon the face of Hegadon, it will never be saved, whatever that means. It can never be better than it is now. Those with power will simply seek to tread upon those who do not have it. The kin, the humans, they are all the same. Each one saying, I am better than the other. Each one proving it to their might. So, perhaps this was as it was meant to be. So that I may learn these lessons now. And that I may change things for the better. And you hear this voice again in your head. Then your path is set. And everything resumes as these jaws snap shut and that Goliath, your brother Krafag, is pulled into the earth. Doppelganger Vamok, wearing a wicked smile, seems to turn and notice you. And as the two of you lock eyes, this strange, familiar realization enters his and then his body is racked by pains and sudden jolts as he's like whipped about his arms and spine like contorting in awful directions and then in like an instant like flash paper he just goes up in his ash and then a great gust of wind blows everyone off their feet as you kind of stumble to a stop finding yourselves once more on this descending staircase the mountain scene gone so that was fun. <laughs> TV, press forward, son. Does anyone have a problem with what they saw? Kelnia is kind of rubbing her head, getting to her feet. Uh, I take it that was you. It was me in a previous life. What you witnessed was me sacrificing my brother in the pursuit of power. He is undeserving of your compassion. But I can understand if some of you would think of me differently. Rest assured, I do not care. Let us press forward. Vamok leads the way down. Kelniace and Cad will just fall in behind him as these stairs persist. Moving down. The scene slowly changes once more. The crackle of dead pine needles is the first thing you notice under your feet. It's not a dark night. Just in the evening, 
maybe a half hour past sunset, as the stairway transforms into the side of a hill that leads you down seamlessly into a forest, one that seems familiar. You see the mountains of the fell and the great mountains in the middle, able to, you know, kind of locate yourselves here without much effort, before they're shielded once more behind the canopy of trees. Walking through this forest, it's quiet. Birds chirping, the rustling of leaves and the wind, and then suddenly, noises, screams, shouts, scared and confused as steel clashes against steel and rips into flesh, and something bolts by you, a scared dwarf, one and gone, in and out of your sight, and then two other figures running toward you explode from the underbrush before one of them is grabbed. The other turns as it falls, this first figure, who Mick recognizes as Alros. Alros falling onto his knees and wrists, screaming as he does as something unseen pulls him back into the fray just beyond the tree line where the smell of iron and the screams of the dying persist. And for a split second, Doppelganger mixed knuckles are white against Alros's wrists, his hands, and then he starts to let go as he meets Alros's eyes, and a sudden realization washes over the other man. And it's here where everything seems to slow for Mick, and that same echoey voice permeates your thoughts. Is this how it was meant to be? Mick, upon uh, taking in the scene, starts to kind of walk back from the scene and starts to breathe heavy, and immediately upon hearing this voice says, No, no, please. And then he kind of kind of gets caught up in his words and starts to dart his eyes to his companions back and forth, uh, seeing what they're thinking of this scene, and starts to have tears well up into his eyes, and he looks down. And he says, just gently after a moment, It was never supposed to be this way. What would you have... I... I... No. And you see, ever so slowly, just for you, Doppelganger Mick's fingers start to let go of Alros's hand, his pleading eyes still looking up, and again the voice then echoes in your mind. Then what would you do? Mick is still looking at the ground, and has contemplated this question before and has run this scenario in his head over and over and over again and has contemplated the same question. And Mick, through his tears, composes himself and is still looking at the ground, but, as I said, composes himself and says, What I should have done is what I would like to say I have the strength to do now. I wish I hadn't let go. I wish I had saved him. And it's at this point that Doppelganger Mick completely lets go of Alros's hand, still in super slow motion, as Alros starts to fall to the ground and be slowly dragged away as Doppelganger Mick turns on their heel to run. And this voice echoes in your mind, One last chance. And Mick musters the strength that he has within him and starts to sprint towards Alros and grabs him by the hand and starts to yank him back, doing the right thing that he feels like he should have done in the first place. You are overcome with emotion as this happens, 
and it seems to lend you strength as this sudden new bucking of Alros back from whatever unseen assailant seeks to drag him away throws it off balance, and with that sudden pull, you're able to take Alros free as he gets up and scrambles to his feet and runs past you into the brush and out of sight once more. And then you see Doppelganger Mick, one hand up against a tree, catching their breath as they slowly turn to face your eyes, knowing that they still left Alros to their fate, or rather not knowing whether or not Alros was dragged away, for this time around there were no echoing screams. And as you lock eyes with the doppelganger Mick, again demonic possession style, their body is racked by the strangest contortions that snap their bones in the ugliest of ways. And then in a flash, they are consumed by an ethereal fire, leaving nothing but black ash. And then the ground rumbles and shifts and cracks and breaks and splits. And you all fall through, landing just a few feet down on your knees and your hands once more on this never-ending staircase as dirt and pine needles pelt you before sinking into nothing. Mick is not going to get up from that position for a while and probably won't address anybody else in the group. Val will put a hand on his shoulder, but not say anything. Mick kind of winces at this, not realizing the position that he's in now. And everybody just saw what happened, and everybody is around him, and they're back to reality. So he stays there for a little bit, breathing, and trying to maintain his composure. And all the while, he finally does, and is still looking at the ground, not being able to fully face his companions. But he stands up, nevertheless, and continues on. Does everyone else also continue down the stairs? Yeah, Val will give Mick's shoulder a little squeeze. I like that Val and Mick are like unequivocally good guys. Yeah, <laughs> we try. We I guess Bunir's pretty good too, but like Vimok's kind of a grump. Sometimes, sometimes we tell people to destroy entire worlds because we've already done that, and it doesn't matter. But you know, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and Reese is just crazy, but like Mick's always like super nice and peppy, and Val is constantly dealing with trauma but <laughs> upon seeing someone else constantly yeah. deal with trauma is always trying to help that person as they deal with trauma yeah so he's always yeah, like hey seriously. life sucks huh yeah i know <laughs> how that is yeah 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 <laughs> so mick feeling the squeeze from val is kind of kind of going to turn towards his head towards him but is going to still be looking down and give a small smile towards him and then continue looking down and walking They'll return the smile and walk as well. As you walk, this scene again once more transforms until you find yourselves in another clearing of sorts at the borders of forests and what it appears to be a taiga of terrain where a battle has just taken place. Bandits litter the ground, their dirtied leathers and rusted swords no match for the band of Demlik warriors that stand above their corpses. However, even as the last of these wildlings goes down, a familiar form of doppelganger Brynir whirls on one of the Demlik and buries his axe in his chest before ripping it from his chest and beginning to tear the rest of these Demlik warriors to pieces, hacking into them severing their limbs, cutting through their leather armor, 
and batting away their own swords and axes as doppelganger Brynir slashes blades across their backs, knocking them to the ground, and picks up a warhammer before smashing it into one of their faces. Doppelganger Brynir drops the warhammer then, and approaches one of these Demlik, who yells, Please, stop! Why are you doing this? This isn't you! Look what you've done! And as this Demlik then steps to the side, there's a body on the ground, a woman writhing in pain. Don't come any closer. I can't let you harm her anymore. You love her. And doppelganger Brynir continues to move forward, tears streaming down his face. But then he lunges for this Demlik. And in that brief moment, this Demlik warrior plunges his own sword into doppelganger Brynir's chest. But then Brynir reaches forward, his hands grabbing for this Demlik's neck one move away from delivering a sharp crack and ending his life. And it's here where for Brynir, things seem to slow. And that voice builds in your mind, writhing in the back before coming to the forefront of your consciousness, echoing physically within your skull. Is this how it should have been? No. This is Adoirium's fault. Brynir wants to rush towards his doppelganger self and try to kind of push him back and then try to break the little glinting string that he sees above the doppelganger. Roll a uh, unarmed strength attack just as you bull rush yourself. Get him, Brynir. 26. You push doppelganger Brynir aside. This other Demlik warrior, who you know as Elend, falls to the ground on top of the woman, Runa. And as you roll to a stop with Doppelganger Brynir, this sword of Elend's still plunged in Doppelganger Brynir's chest. You look in his eyes, but there's a darkness, and he doesn't see you. And so unlike the others when they saw their Doppelgangers face to face, he's not ripped from reality and broken apart and burnt to ashes, but he fights on, delivering a wicked punch to your temple that knocks you off balance as he starts to stand and withdraw the blade from his chest. Brynir's gonna pick up a weapon off the ground. A warhammer would be the closest thing. Brynir picks up the warhammer that doppelganger Brynir had dropped earlier and gets ready to fight. Doppelganger Brynir completely removes the sword from his chest with a spurt of blood and then swings it wildly at Brynir, striking into you, slashing across your arm and into your chest, drawing blood and a great bout of pain, equating to about 26 points of damage. Is this still in slow motion for everyone else? This is happening in real time for everyone else. Feeling this pain, Brynir is going to try to enter into a rage and then actually try to disarm the other Brynir. How? Brynir is going to try to bat away the sword with the warhammer and then let go of the warhammer and try to take the sword out of his hands. Do a wisdom saving throw. 18. For a split second, you formulate this plan in your head and move to strike the doppelganger before the slightest vignette of darkness clouds your vision. And these glinting strings that appear in your vision for a half second, clear, attached to the head, the elbows, the arms, the shoulders of the doppelganger, snap, and then reconnect 
to your own form. Oh no. That's not great. And as the darkness in the doppelganger's eyes clears, this injured Brynjir shaking, his head coming awake, and then finally staring you in the eyes, you realized you've raised the warhammer above your head, and in a split second, you bring it down, and it smashes straight through his cranium, stopping just above his jaws and shatters Brynjir's face all the way down to his teeth, leaving his broken jaw to simply slag to one side as Brynjir, the doppelganger, stumbles, falls, a jet of blood bursting from this broken skull and then collapsing to the ground. And you hear in your mind a voice, though not the one that spoke to you before. And she says, It's good to have you back. And then fully aware of your form, your movement, you whirl on Elend and Runa. And Elend, still catering to the injured Runa, looks up at you as you bat him aside with the warhammer, smashing it into his temple and cracking his head open as his blood and brain spatters across the stony ground. And then you raise the hammer once more, as if plunging a sword straight down, and one Whack! Cracking into Runa's chest as all the air escapes her. And then you raise it again and bring it down as her ribs shoot out of her skin. And then once more, and you bring it down a third time. And she vomits sick and blood as her eyes roll back into her head. And her entire chest cavity just deflates underneath this final blow. And then your trembling hands drop the warhammer turning to your friends, and the voice says again, We've had our fun for now. And the darkness clears, and the strings snap and drift off upward into oblivion, and this echoing deep voice now fills your skull once more. Did you really think you could change this? Unfortunately, no, but that is the desire of my heart. Good. And then everyone, as the world shifts from a flat plane to, like, a steep angle, you kind of just fall, rolling onto your sides before stopping, finding yourselves once more on these wide, long stairs. Brynja, are you all right? No, Val. I'm not. We need to move on. And Brynja turns away, depressed, and walks in whatever direction. Bartholomew follows him and just says, I'm sorry. I should not have diminished your pain. As your somber crowd continues to descend these stairs, they start to take on a more ornate sheen. The stone giving way slowly to marble, gilded with gold and silver, as these banisters appear from the walls and close in on you. Until a familiar, at least to two of you, situation presents itself. Val stands on the landing, the second landing, in the ballroom of Count Pharaoh Algier. Just above you, having been knocked from his wheelchair and made visible to the crowd, his grotesque form staring up, pleading with that of Luca, his dagger ready to plunge down into his corpulent form. Time slows. You have a clear view, a clear shot. 
one might say. And the voice echoes to Val, Is this how it should have been? I don't know that I have the power to change anything in this moment, but damn it, I'm going to try. Uh, he's going to run forward and grab Algier's ankle and pull him back away from Luca. Do a strength check. <laughs> the thing I'm best at, you know. Just straight strength. Mm-hmm. Ooh, not bad. I got a 17. You are able to pull Algier down the stairs, and he kind of knocks his head against the first few of these as Luca falls backward, stumbling, the knife dropping to the ground. And then Rolandir whirls on you, and you see Efron in the ballroom turn up toward you as the party is now confused by why you, of all people, have just saved their target from certain death. Killing this man is a mistake. Luca is the first to get to his feet and rush toward you again, his bony dagger in hand. How could it be a mistake, and who are you to tell me this? I know you don't have any reason to trust me, but this is a mistake. If you do this, it will result in things beyond your wildest imagination. Really? Would it be something more strange and terrible than being eternally cursed to serve a strange evil being that resurrected me from the dead? Because killing him is one step to avoid that fate. I would say it's about on par with that. It's at this point, Val, that you start to notice that doppelganger Val is in this room up on the top landing. They haven't noticed you, per se, not yet. But you recognize the telltale staff and barn owl. Can I look and see if I can see the threads of Adwinium controlling any of them? Luca specifically, since he's closest to me. Do a perception check. Seven. There may be a glint from the candle and chandelier light bathing this room, but it might just be a trick of the light. Nothing concrete. Though you remember that once Algir was killed, you were all restrained by these threads. Is there anybody currently with, like, I know... This is where Lyrian got the uh, the infamous glaive. Is there like a weapon I can grab off anybody that's long that has reach? I'm trying to remember the layout here. I don't think so because there's just like Algier's kind of band of attendants that were blocking the stairwell. Okay, so there's no way for me to get around them. No, Lyrian and Efron are down in the ballroom proper kind of fighting guards. As you do look around, you notice Mick standing beside you. On this landing, their rapier available. Could I borrow your weapon? I promise I will not do anything to hurt you. Oh, well, good gracious. Well, what are you... Uh, just take it, okay? <laughs> I will take Mick's rapier, and I will approach Luca first. Sort of like, I'm not going to hurt you, and slash at the air over his head. The rapier comes in contact with something, but it doesn't slice through them kind of just drags them, and Luca is dragged along with it. It's at this point that you notice the doppelganger Val starts to take note of this situation, and Rolandir, too, is kind of rounding on this little altercation. I don't know if there's anything I can do, but V are all being controlled in this moment in time by forces outside of ourselves. If you can fight against them, please do. I would love to know how to fight against them but they are burned in me deeper than I can truly survive. And he removes his headband, revealing the brand from the mural for everyone to see. And it's at this point that Luca then makes another attempt at Algier. 
plunging the dagger down. Can I do anything about that? You can sure try. Okay. I don't know if I have use of intent here, but I'm going to go to meet Luca as he's lunging down and put my hand on his forehead and attempt to access intent to purge him of this brand. That's going to be first a dexterity check. <laughs> okay. Luke is so dexterous too. 16. Luca slips past you <clears throat> and stabs down right between Algier's eyes as he plunges his bony dagger into this grotesque man whose eyes go wide. And it's at this point that Rolandir comes and stops at the top of the stairs, and Val comes and stops at the top of the stairs and gasps. And this gasp draws your gaze as you look up at yourself who's then twisted and twirled into all sorts of painful shapes before burning up in an instant. And as the ash is settling, time slows once more, and you hear in your mind, Did you really think that would change anything? No, I didn't. But I wanted to try anyway. Then your course is set. And the world kind of just like dolly zooms out. (laughs) As you tumble back and back and back. (laughs) It's such a good description. It's so visceral. Like, just overcome with vertigo as you find yourself once more, the whole group tumbling down these wide, long stairs coming to a painful stop. Well, that was to be expected, I suppose. Shall we press on, then? I think so, yeah. Val, if you need to... Well, I wasn't there, first of all, but... Believe me, I've heard about all that. You're not to blame, you know. I think that I do know that somewhere in the back of my mind, but I want to change things that cannot be changed, and I think that that is something unchangeable about me. Obviously, Mick saw this, and it was a familiar scene. Besides the added changes from present Val, uh, returns the same kindness that he showed to him, and just puts his arm around him and gently smiles at him and shrugs him closer to him. Thank you, Mick. Mick gives him a curt nod and just continues forward with him with his arm remaining. Val will go. As you continue downward, your eyes are drawn skyward as a crack of thunder and lightning streaks across the sky. A pelting rain begins to fall. Mud beneath your feet as you find yourself... Outside a familiar city, Bastion, though you're in the upper districts, where long open roads and manor homes are separated by acres, and you come upon quite instantaneously to a house that you've visited before, though when you saw it there, it was burned, destroyed you'd salvaged bits and pieces of magister materials from it, but here it stands in all its architectural glory, and you hear a crash and a bang from the inside, and then Katagas and Magister Morden, grappled with each other, fall from a window about ten feet down into a flower garden, where they smack upon the dirt and the mud, knocking the breath out of each of them, and you look to Cad... But he doesn't move, and you hear, Karagas! And you see Luna's face peeking from the window as he turns up slightly before a flash of awful light extinguishes Doppelganger Cad, Magister Morden standing with his hands outstretched. 
and in an ear-piercing shriek, Luna screams, causing the windows to break and the beams of the manor home to splinter, the ground to shake and crack open, and then a burst of light and flame as the entire scene explodes, and y'all are knocked back on your butts, finding yourselves once more on this endless staircase. Cad, the only one still standing, as you all are then forced to get back to your feet. And just for clarity's sake, for everyone who, like, wasn't directly experiencing, you know, their memories, that's kind of how quickly all of them for the others transpired. Cad just, not sheepishly per se, but just almost tiredly, looks around as you all get back and stand up. Come on, then. He seems to be dealing with it, so Barty will start a-walking. And as you continue down, you start to hear wind. A cold wind, and you start to feel it on your skin, biting against your cheeks, until the stone around you carries a familiar warmth and a familiar glow, and you realize you're once more in a grand monastery of the Mazkin, cloaked and hooded and robed figures shuffling about you. And it's at this point that Kelniace pushes herself to the front of the group and sprints after one in particular, tackling it to the ground ripping a concealed knife from its hands and then plunging that dagger again and again and again into this form before standing as this form is trying to stop this onset of blood that's pouring from its ripped chest. And then as they meet eyes, that figure on the ground contorts, its back arching unnaturally, snapping, and then bursts into flames and ash. And Kelniace, covered in her own blood... Panting, just looks at everyone and says, Moving on, then. And as if just instantly, you're back upon the staircase. As blinking one way and then the next, the monastery is gone. The warmth is gone. And Kelniace just hurries off to the front of the party and starts downward. Cad gives everyone kind of like a, Oh, and follows after her i don't suppose any of that should come as a surprise and we descend it's a while before the final scene starts to take shape but you hear the calmest crackle of fire you find yourself in a forest with a mostly clear floor large trunked trees that reach up to a calm night sky, stars twinkling above, and you see a group, men, women, in a small camp, wearing the garb of the original Rift Wardens. Some are setting up tents, others tend to the fire, and one dwarf in particular who bears a startling resemblance to Bartholomew, but is obviously not Bartholomew, leads the group in a sort of merry song as they settle in for the night. It's only then that something rustles in the bushes just beyond the camp's edge. Whoever's standing watch, unaware, listening to the song, clapping in unison, as a great rabid bear breaks through the brush and chomps down on this watch. Splitting open his shoulder and ripping into the flesh just below his scapula honestly piercing his heart and killing him nearly instantly before tossing him aside 
and with a blood-soaked roar rearing up on its hind legs. Immense, powerful, this bear charges into the fray and begins to maul and tear and murder these wardens who try to flee, who try to fight, but do also in vain until the last of them falls save for the dwarf who scrambles back as the bear approaches, its jaws ready to chomp down. And then for Bartholomew, things slow. And that voice echoes, Is this how it should have been? Hearing this, Bartholomew screams towards the sky. What could you want from me? What could the purpose of this be? Is this how it was supposed to end? How is anything supposed to end? How am I supposed to end? Do you think I'll beg you for forgiveness? Do you think I'll fight to change it? This is done. This is a hollow recreation. Nothing I see here can change what happened. Then you lack perspective. And the bear turns to Barty, drawn by his yelling, and it bats this dwarf aside and then charges him. And with a single swipe of its massive claw, opens up Barty's chest from shoulder to waist and then chomps down on your arms as you try to defend yourself, biting ferociously one after the other, ripping your flesh from its bones. And then finally, its jaws come down and settle onto your head as you feel a tooth like breaking through your jawbone and entering your mouth as it just twists you this way and that and then tosses you into the middle of the camp. The bear turns, observing the rest of the group, this rabid look in its eyes, and then it backs away, and it bounds out of the camp and back into the night. And as Barty lay in the middle of this camp by the trampled fire, mortally wounded, this lone dwarf gets to his feet and falls at his side, and he sees who it really is before him. And this dwarf says, Father, is that you? It can't be. Do Bartholomew's limbs still work? Like, I understand he was totally munched on, so he's he's pretty mangled, but like, could his could he grab onto the lapels of this punk? Yes. Cool. Um, so through a mangled mouth, everything he's saying is almost incomprehensibly jarbled just by the absolute wrecking of Bartholomew's body. But he just reaches up with one, his only remaining functional hand. I mean, there's, you can see bone. It's rough. And he just, he reaches up and he grabs this dwarf by the shirt. He attempts to pull him. He has like no muscular force. So, you know, he's putting pressure, downward pressure on this. And he says, you bastard. You killed her. I didn't mean to take her away. You did this to me. Forgive me, father. <laughs> Please. I cannot forgive you. Never let me find you. I don't know what you need to do, but never let me find you. I- I'm not going to leave you, father. I'm not going to let you die here. Bartholomew, he's overcome with emotion. His hand falls to the side. I mean, he's, he's very weak. He's very weak at this point. You need to leave. I will give you one chance. If you leave now, 
and you hide yourself. We might never have to see each other again. And this dwarf just shakes his head, tears streaming down his hot cheeks. No, father. I said I'd make things right. I'll do right by you. I won't let you go. All right, my boy. I'll let you do right by me. And Bartholomew's hand is, as it fell, it fell on a small shard of a breastplate that had just been shattered by this bear attack. But it's pretty pointy. It's just a sliver of metal, probably about a hand width wide, coming to a point. And he takes it into his hands, and he says, There's only one way for you to do right by me. Anything, father, anything. Even before he started saying anything, Barty immediately took this shard of breastplate and shoved it through his son's chest. And it rips through into his heart, and as blood gushes over Barty, his son's eyes just go dark, and he falls limp on top of Barty's own broken body. Bartholomew starts to manically laugh and weep at the same time. He is in what could be called a bad way. Hysteria, you might say. (laughs) In almost the blink of an eye, the scene seems to change. As you're in a small stone room, no more than, say, 12 feet by 12 feet, Barty still sees his son and the carnage that his past self had wrought, choking on blood and laughing. But the rest of you just see Barty lying on the floor, the staircase, maybe only one or two flights leading back up to the room where the butler waits. Cad, after witnessing this scene, just looks at the bloodied, broken Barty on the ground and up to the group and... What do we... Gods, what do we do with him? We leave him. Leave him? I mean, I'll be the first to say I don't know him. Well, at all. But you all have traveled with him? Aided him? I don't feel that... I have any legs to stand on when it comes to judging what anyone else has decided to do with their life. I don't know if there's anything we can do for Barty, but at the very least we can take him upstairs to rest. You all may do as you please, but from my perspective it is very simple. I do not know if Barty is fit to walk. I do not think he is coming back from this. I do not know about any of you. But I have witnessed his descent. This is not something that is going to get better with a little bit of rest. He has become increasingly unstable, so much to the point that I believe he is a danger to himself and to us as well. And do you think you can make the decision to leave him behind? Honestly, Vermak? After all that you've done? Well, all of us have done. The difference between us and him is that we are still in control of our faculties. We still have some semblance of sanity, or rational thinking, or whatever you call it. But Tolomeo, he has gone mad. And you haven't? And you? Cad looks to Brynir. And you haven't? It doesn't matter. We will try to help him. And if not all of us together, then me by myself. I will not lose another without trying. I agree. Look here, I don't know what's going on in that damned dwarf's head. And maybe you're mad, he nods at Brynir. And maybe you're mad, he nods at Vamok. But at least one of you's making sense. If you so much as lay a finger on helping that broken, babbling bastard. 
pointing to Barty. You may as well stay down here as well, for you're not fit to return and finish what we started here, just as he isn't. Then I want no part of anything that you are planning to do. Regardless of who he is and what he has done, I will not voluntarily take his life or leave him for death. Yes, he may have had a different personality before he remembered, and that has to account for something. Underneath all of that, Bartholomew was a good man. But was he? We have all done very questionable things. I do not claim that I am some moral pillar, but I am not sure that underneath everything, Bartholomew is a good man. Perhaps the good man was the ruse that he was keeping up to hide this madness. At the very least, he should be allowed to die in peace. Then leave him here. Why does he have to die alone? He's dying before our eyes. He's anything but alone. Don't you all connect the dots? Don't you understand what we've seen so far? Him in that room, the cracked window, the bloodied, destroyed suite. And then here, that couldn't be anyone but his son. Cad kind of whirls on Valens, like, who do you think that bear was? Have you any doubt that it wasn't him? No. The point is not... I I agree with you that he is unstable and unsafe and should not probably be allowed to continue to travel with us, but that is not the point. Right now, there is a man dying who at one point was our friend. And whatever shred of mercy I still possess in my body, I would like to exercise it right now. And this mercy that you wish to give him, that would make you feel better, hmm? That would change you from the ball of guilt and regret that I have seen you become. That would somehow fix all of the problems. This is precisely the problem with this group. This is why I lack faith that we will succeed in any of our goals. Because none of us have shown the determination to be able to do what needs to be done. Because we are more concerned with saving the life of a dying madman to make ourselves feel better than to do what is necessary to take on the gods to challenge a faulty system. At this rate, I do not know if it is even worth it to go further with all of you. These trials have shown me that we are all racked by indecision, worrying about, oh, am I making the right choice at every turn? Being paralyzed by the unknown, trying to do anything to assuage our guilt for past actions. So by all means, if it makes you feel any better, try to save him. But I am done wasting my time. I am done sitting here in these trials. If the gods want to kill us, then let them kill us. But I am no longer going to take part in these pity parties, feeling bad for ourselves. Woe is us. That is life. Everyone suffers. It makes me wonder, what are we even fighting for? What is the goal? Hmm? Are we trying to save Egedon? From what? One of the gods? All of the gods? What are we even doing here? Well, what you have said about me is true. Don't you dare, ever, question what I am willing to give up. I'm going to go to Barty. 
and like lean him over on his side so that he can speak if he can. Are you ready to be done here? Do you want to go? Is Barty still in the forest or does he, has he? You're still in the forest, but you can see the others. You can hear what they're talking about. Okay. Uh, Bartholomew is definitely in shock. I mean, he's super lost in blood. He's going to need a couple of pints, even for the three foot tall guy. And he's just, go, 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 go where? To whatever happens after this life. I did it again. I had one chance to change. One chance. And he slowly fades to unconsciousness. He's no longer speaking. Val is going to, as peacefully as he can, sort of arrange what remains of Barty's body into, you know, a little, like, peaceful death pose. And then take his face in both of his hands and twist to break his neck. In his weakened, unconscious state, cradling him against you with a quick crack, you snap Barty's neck. Val will, like, lay a hand across his chest and say, Go in peace. And then rise and turn and look at the mock and say, How is that for a decision? And walk out of the room. It's actually Cad that speaks up as you stride away. And he says, It's good to see that the mother of kin did not choose a coward after all. That will stop and turn around. Shut your god's damned mouth. It's going to be Kelniace actually that kind of intercedes here and steps between the two of you. And she doesn't like place a hand on Val's chest, but just like hovering a, f- a couple, you know, inches away. She's like, please, please. It's been enough. I did what had to be done in order to move on. As you all say, I exercised mercy in some degree. And this can be one more thing I take to my grave. I will nod and then turn and continue. Like I said, it's hardly a walk back up to the chamber where you started. As Kelniace kind of shoots Cad a rueful glare and follows... Val up. Mick will will most likely trail behind and will bow his head and kind of slump as he walks upstairs. Brynir will look at Barty's body and just say, I'm sorry. Go in peace. And he leaves. Before Brynir does get a chance to leave, because Cad hasn't left. Vamok hasn't left either, right? No. Okay. Hearing Brynir though, Cad turns... Do you think peace is what he wanted? No, but I do believe that it is what everybody deserves in the end. We'll see. Rhaenyra will just push past Cad. Then it's just Cad and Vamok standing above the bloodied corpse of Bartholomew. And Cad kind of starts to turn to leave. I take no pleasure in this. In what? In what I must say. And what I must do, but on its current trajectory, this group does not stand a chance of defeating air. There is no pleasure in our work. Why would there be in our words? We are doomed to suffer as long as we persist on this path. You only spoke the truth. If all we try to do is assuage ourselves of our past doubts, of our past fears, stuck in them, what are we? But children, flailing, ignorant, stupid. I have seen more of you all today than 
I'd ever known. Luna had told me in your stories how you came here, how you were separated, how you met with Ephron, then Mick, though not you, Mark, I understand, at the time were displaced, seeking your own path with Vale. But still, I learned this group's history, and I thought perhaps, yes, they could be the ones. They could be the ones to pick up what I had tried to begin so long ago with Luna, to succeed where I had failed. For yes, I failed. You saw my death just then. That was how it was supposed to be, something I don't care to change. But now, striding into the void side by side with you all, I can't say I have that same confidence as before. And what was it, Kadagas? That you were trying to do, but that you failed in. Change the world. Change how men and kin saw one another. Change how they saw the gods. Change how the gods wielded power over us. You know, when I first found Luna, I thought she was merely a godborn. And I thought how fortunate that I would reach her before the magisters or anyone else could corrupt her against my kind. It was only after she destroyed an entire district and bastion with fire so hot it burned white and blue, cracked stone and melted streets, that I knew she was godless, but I failed to protect her in that time. And here now, stuck, reliving pointless memories, pointless sorrows, as if there's some lesson we could glean from all of this other than the fact that we must push forward, because air will not be toppled by kind words or our flowery regrets, but by sheer force and power that we yet lack, and by a determination, a will, that not all of us have. Looking Cad dead in the eyes, the mock says, Know this, Cadagas, much like yourself, I too have plans. To change Egadon, change the way things are, change the balance of power. I feel that in you I may have an ally, but also know that I will do whatever it takes to achieve these plans. You will get no flowery regrets from me. I killed my guilt a long time ago, and I refuse to die before I bring about the change that I feel is necessary for this world. And Vamok turns to the open doorway and walks away. Cad, with the slightest smile on his face, follows Vamok back up the stairs. And as all of you come to a stop in this octagonal room once more, the staircase vanishes, a wall where it once was, the butler's normally placid face, wearing a smile as he stands, hands clasped in front of him, Wonderful performance. Just two more to go. <laughs>